If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one somewhere in a pew near or in front of you. This is our 54th week through the Gospel of Luke. This is the second message from this particular section of Luke entitled No Neutral Ground. And so knowing dads deserve a whole month, not just a day, amen, and that y'all didn't get enough, particularly Miss Cecilia, of dad jokes last Sunday morning, here is this week's top ten dad jokes. Noah, you ready for the best part of your week? <laughs> here we go. Number ten, did y'all hear about the guy who invented lifesavers? They say he made a mint. <laughs> y'all see in the news this week, they made round bales of hay illegal in Wisconsin? Yeah, the cows weren't getting a square meal. Want to hear a joke about construction? I'm still working on it. (laughs) Kayla, my oldest daughter, and I recently went to Atlanta to catch a Braves game, and when I picked her up, she said, Dad, did you get a haircut? And I said, no, I got them all cut. You're embarrassed for me. I still got uh, seven, uh, seven to go, six to go. Did you know I used to work uh, in a calendar factory and then got fired? I mean, all I did was take a couple of days off. <laughs> a three-legged dog walks into a bar, says the bartender, I'm looking for the man who shot my paw. <laughs> See, they're getting better. I went to the bank the other day and a clown clown held the door open for me. I'd have to say, Noah, he was a nice jester. (laughs) Y'all know the best part about living in Switzerland? I don't either, but the flag's a big plus. Some of y'all don't understand that. Next time you go into a clothing store, as you walk out, tell the first person you meet coming in the door, say, I would not buy anything in there with Velcro. It's a total (laughs) ripoff. Final one, Miss Cecilia says, yes, thank you. The other day I went to Kroger to get a few things. The cashier asked me, sir, would you like the milk in a bag? And I said, no, I'll just leave it in the carton. (laughs) Moral of the story, as we said last week, no one is neutral about dad jokes. You either love them or hate them. You think they're terrible or you think they're awesome. And Jesus said the same about himself. No one is neutral about him. In verse 23, we'll get to the whole section in a minute, but he said, whoever is not with me is against me. And we live in a culture that increasingly espouses the myth of neutrality, as we said. Everybody gets a trophy. There's no winner, there's no loser, everybody gets one. Every view is equally valid. There is no absolute truth. When it comes to gender, there is no male, female. It's multiple, can be fluid, it can change tomorrow or next year. The culture war, we're living in the days of Judges 21-25 that everyone does what is right in his own eyes and not what God says. Yet this idea of neutrality is a myth. And unfortunately, instead as we've said, the church influencing the culture, the culture has influenced, in fact, infected us with this virus of neutrality. 
And you'll remember I told you if you don't believe me, read a Bible commentary, listen to a Bible scholar, watch a TV preacher. They'll say things such as, we don't even know if Jesus was a historical person. We don't know if he was virgin born. What does it really matter anyway? Who knows if he worked miracles? We don't know if he really died on the cross. Was he really truly raised from the dead? We don't know about the Bible. Maybe it does have errors. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, and salvation... Surely there's got to be other ways to uh, heaven other than Jesus. That's very exclusive. Not to mention bigoted. And brothers and sisters, as I told you, these are not questions or topics that call for or even allow neutrality. C.S. Lewis said there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, we see a spiritual war that is raging. And Christ warns us there's no Switzerland's, there's no neutrality, and as I told you, what's the best way to fight off a virus? You don't want to get the shingles? I guarantee you, you don't want to get the shingles. Best way to prevent it? Go get a shot. Get inoculated against that virus. And so we, the church, need a fresh inoculation of uh, God's Word to Keep us away from this virus of neutrality. And Luke 11 is a great place to do that. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 11. And for time's sake, I'll read 14 to 16 and then 27 to 32. Now he, Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. The demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Verse 27, as he said these things, the woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And the crowds were increased, and he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign of the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Word of God for the people of God preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we stand in a free country. Father, we know what you, your Son said, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so we thank you for those, Father, that have gone before us and laid down their life that we can live in a free country. We thank you for those even today that are fighting for our freedom. But, Father, we thank you most of all that, Father, if the Son, Jesus, has set us free, we are truly free indeed. And so, Father, we are thankful most of all for Him laying down His life that we can be free. Father, we need to be inoculated against this virus of neutrality in a culture that increasingly tries to throw the Bible out and to dismiss Jesus. Father, help us through your Holy Spirit and through the preaching of your word today, Father, to be inoculated against this virus, that we would stand for you, we would stand the post for you, 
And Father, through this church, we would storm the very gates of hell. We pray your Holy Spirit to bless the rest of this service and open our eyes and hearts and ears to what you would have to say to us today that we can leave out of here in our hands and our feet would be that of Jesus. For it's in His wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. So a little quick review. Last week we first examined the transformation. Remember I said a man that wasn't a man of few words, but no words. He went from speechless to probably not shutting up in a New York minute. And it was at the hands of Jesus who cast out a demon that had rendered him mute. We said that the people who witnessed this were not neutral about their beliefs in demons and Satan. They didn't, like a lot of Christians, stick their head in the sand and say, well, this stuff about demons and Satan is kind of scary. I don't really know if it's real. We said that a, a, a significant portion of people do not believe Satan is even a real person. He's just a force. And so uh, they, these people were not neutral about their belief in demons and Satan. They didn't stick their head in the sand and not believe in him and neither were they neutral about their reaction towards Jesus himself and so we looked at the three main categories some scoffed some saw and one shouted and it was that first reaction some that scoffed that said that Jesus had done this exorcism by nothing more than voodoo or black magic said it was Satan himself that we spent most of our time exploring and Jesus refuted their uh, accusation uh, powerfully and so he left the crowd with basically the only logical conclusion which is that his healing of this man was the very finger of God. So two more reactions remain. Some saw and one shouted and those are the two we're going to look at in our time this morning. So look with me first at verse 16. Jesus' reputation some saw and this sets our context for this morning while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now let me ask you, on the one hand, were the people right in wanting proof, a sign of who Jesus said he was, the Messiah? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Because many false messiahs had arisen before Jesus, they had risen during Jesus' time, as we'll look at in just a second. And even today, do the names Jim Jones or David Koresh ring a bell? Listen to Matthew 24. This is what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse. Verse 4 and 5, And Jesus answered them, See no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Now turn to Acts chapter 5. The New Testament records three of these fake messiahs for us. The first is one Judea, the Galilean. He's mentioned in Acts 5, 37. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And then just above that, in verse 36, uh, Thetis, for behold, before these days Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Now flip to Acts 21. Paul's nearly killed by a hostile mob. They arrested him. And they want to know if he was this unnamed 
Egyptian. Verse 37 and 38, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul assured him that he was not. Here's the point. Claiming to be Messiah, is that a neutral proposition? No. No. Why else? Because these people, they had one of two options. Either believe it or they killed them. Right? And think back to the time in which Jesus was on trial. Mark 14. God's Word said the penalty for falsely claiming to be Messiah was to be death. And it was once the high priest had backed Jesus into the corner in which he answered, had to answer under oath in verse 61 of Mark 14. He, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus has to answer. And he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and come on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Why? Because that's what God's Word and law taught in Leviticus 24, 16. And so at issue, if we go back here to Luke eleven sixteen, is not that they wanted a sign, some proof. It was the demand and the drive. The demand they kept seeking. That in the Greek means they kept seeking and kept seeking and kept seeking and kept seeking from Him a sign. And what does it say the reason for? Because they really wanted to believe in Jesus as Messiah? To test Him. And we said, were they testing him like you're taking a test in algebra or English to see if you get an A, a B, a C, or a D? They were testing him. Why? Because they wanted to destroy him. That's why. And remember what we said from encountering God. How does God work? He's not neutral. Amos 3.7 He's surely not going to do something without first letting the prophets and the people no, God was not going to send the Messiah into the world without first revealing to His prophets and to His people how they would be able to recognize the Messiah. And you remember what we said, flip back to Luke chapter 4. How were the people going to recognize this? How would they know who the Messiah was? Jesus, after He had read from Isaiah in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Judah the Galilean, Thutis, this unnamed Egyptian, didn't fit the bill, but Jesus certainly did. If you look at the 14 healings in the Old Testament, Let me give them to you. Five were barrenness that were uh, healed. Three resurrections, two leprosies, one withered hand, one terminal illness, one personal illness, and one case of insanity. Notice no blind folks were given sight for just a second. Notice that. But if I told you all of those things happened, what would be the proper response? That Satan must have done that? Well, I just need a little more proof to believe that that's God. 
Well, how much more do you want? Would it be to just be like neutral and be like, well, I don't know if I can really tell if that was God or if it wasn't, so I'm just going to kind of stand here and I'm just going to kind of be neutral about it. Are any of those an option? The only option is to say what? That could only happen by the finger and the power of God. Amen? Amen. Only God can bring the dead back to life. Only God can heal leprosy that we can't even heal today. And so now think of what Jesus had done by this time in His ministry alone. Let me give it to you. Seven exorcisms, four blind people healed. Had never happened in the Old Testament. Two resurrections, two fever. By the way, I think I've told you before and throw in a little humor. You know why uh, Peter denied Jesus, right? Because he healed his mother-in-law. One of those fevers was Peter's mother-in-law. Two paralysis, one leprosy, one hemorrhage, one withered hand, and one man who had been invalid for 38 years. If y'all bring me an invalid that's been an invalid for 38 years on Monday morning make an appointment with the expectation that this old guy's going to heal him, let me go on and uh, save you your copay, and outside of the power of God working through me, it ain't going to happen. Amen? If Jesus can make a man who had been invalid for 38 years get up and run around and jump and shout, do you say, well, that must be Satan? Do you say, well, I need some more proof? Well, how much more proof do you need? Or do you just stand on the sideline and go, well, I don't know, it might be God, it might be Satan, but I'm just going to stand here and I'm going to be neutral. You say what? That had to be what? God. Jesus is God. That's the only proper response. And so these people had heard it. They had seen it with their very own eyes. It's really hard to imagine what would have convinced them. Maybe if Jesus had done one-hand round-offs from Earth to Mars to Jupiter all the way out to Neptune and back, maybe they would have believed then. You think? No, they wouldn't. And so think about it today. Jesus... His work and His person, do they allow for neutrality? You go share the gospel with enough folks and do you think they're going to be neutral about it? Do you think you're going to get on some people's nerves? Do you think some people are probably going to cuss you or never have anything to do with you again? But as C.S. Lewis said, he's either liar, lunatic, or lord. And as Derek Brooks said, he's either man, myth, or messiah. And here's the thing as we're about to look at. Some folks, because of the hardness of their hearts, I don't care how much proof or evidence you give them, they will not believe because of the hardness of their heart. And so look at verse 29, what Jesus says. So that was the context, the callousness. Look at what he says. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is what? A wonderful generation? A good generation? They're a what? Evil generation. Again, it's not so much the desire for a sign as it is the repeated demand for signs. I mean, think about it. I put my notes. Uh, you ever had this happen to you if you're a dad? You know, and you throw your kid up in the air and they think, that man, that was awesome. That was great. And you go, that's over and done with. Glad I could be a good dad today. Is that where it ends, dads? Do it again, Daddy. Do it again. And they just want you to do it over and over and over. That's kind of how these 
keep these people are. And that's what they're being, childish. They've seen Jesus do all of this, and they've seen Jesus do all of this, and they keep clapping their hands and saying, do it again, Daddy, do it again. We want you to just keep doing enough until we believe. And they weren't ever going to believe, were they? You think Jesus is opposed to proof? No. Who ultimately inspired the Apostle John to write his gospel? Was it John? Per 2 Timothy 3.16 that says that every word in here is breathed out by who? Who's Jesus? God. It's kind of like I heard Bodie Bauckham say when people today say, Jesus never had anything to say about homosexuality. You obviously don't know who Jesus is. Because Jesus is God and whatever God's Word says about homosexuality, guess who also said it as well? Jesus. That's why I don't have a red letter Bible. And I'm not uh, bashing you if you have one because you know what? Every letter in here is red because Jesus spoke it and wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So listen to what John said was the whole reason for why he wrote this letter. Now if I write you a letter, when are you going to want me to tell you why I'm writing? At the beginning. John tells you at the end. John 20, 31. Now, or verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written, why? So you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Jesus is not opposed to signs or proof. And John then gave eight of these in his book. What was the first of them that John gave in his book that was a sign that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah? You know, the first miracle He performed? Water to wine, right? He raised Lazarus. He did the miraculous catch of fish. So the problem was not a lack of evidence. The problem was where? The heart. The heart. If you, as I have said, share the gospel with enough folks, you will quickly come to realize whether they really are interested in truly knowing about Jesus in the Word or they're just there to have an argument. Remember what I said, Luther said? He was asked in a question and answer session several questions and just kind of the, the guy that was asking him questions got more and more hostile. And finally he asked Luther, he said, what was God doing before he created the world? And Luther said he was making hell for people like you would ask stupid questions like that. There was one pastor that I read, he said this, he said, this is how he would start out a conversation with people. If I convince you Christianity is true, will you become a Christian? And he said that if they said no, you know what he did? Yeah. Walked away. All things are lawful and all things are profitable. It ain't profitable just sit and argue with a man whose heart is already dead and hardened. Amen? <coughs> and you say, well, that, that don't seem very Jesus-like. Well, won't you go read John chapter 6? And Jesus, who fed 20,000 people, you know, fish po'boys, and he did all that because he had, what, two catfish and five loaves of bread. And then they come to him and he says, 
Y'all ain't even here because you saw the signs. Y'all are here because y'all ate all the catfish po' boys. But I'm going to tell you what you really need to do. I am the bread of life and you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you really want to have any life in you. And you know what it says they did? They walked off. Jesus saved some of his hardest sermons for those that were skeptical. I mean, it was as absurd then after Jesus had fed 20,000 people to demand another sign because that's what they asked him to do right after he had fed 20,000 people with two catfishes and five loaves of bread. Wonder bread, probably. Just as absurd as it is here after Jesus has exercised a demon from a man and knew their thoughts to say, Do it again, Daddy. Do it again, Daddy. We want another sign. Not to mention 18 plus healings over two years of ministry, four of which had never taken place in the entire Old Testament. So why did the people want another sign? Because of the hardness of their hearts. I don't care if he'd have done backflips from Israel to Rome, plucked a grape from the emperor's hand, and then back to Israel in 3.3 seconds, or done a half gainer off of Mars into the Sea of Galilee to earth, it would not have been enough for these folks. Amen? And so is Jesus going to have any of this dog and pony show? No. For those who come with hearts ready to potentially receive him, Jesus says, here's some sign and evidence. Hashtag John 20, 31. For those with callous hearts that say, I believe in you if you just give me my own personal sign, He says, no soup for you. No sign for you. You're not getting another one. So look at the confirmation, verse 29 and 30. The crowds were increasing. He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, for as Jonah became a sign of the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jesus essentially says, all right, you want a sign? I'm going to give you one. Here it is. Boom, Jonah. Y'all familiar with the story of Jonah? God calls him to go to Nineveh to preach. Jonah doesn't want to go. Why? Because he knows God is gracious and he knows if he goes and preaches this message, they're going to repent and he wants these people to be destroyed. So what's he do? He hops on a ship and he goes what? In the opposite direction. And God sends a storm. And the ship's about to break apart. And they cast lights and light falls on Jonah that hey, he's the reason for this whole thing. And does Jonah repent? He said, no, just kill me. I don't even want to go to preach to those people. It'd be like us saying, Lord, I don't even want to go tell Muslims about Christ because I know they're going to repent. And I so hate them, I don't even want them to know. I'm not going to go over there to that gay pride parade and preach to homosexuals because I want them to burn. And brothers and sisters, I hear garbage like that on Facebook from Christians. It's ridiculous. It's the same thing Jonah was doing. So what happens? They throw him overboard and what? Smoke his glass. He goes down, pretty much dies. He's swallowed up. He's entombed in the belly of a whale. Three days finally comes to his senses and says, Lord, get me out of here. I am so sorry. The whale vomits him up on the ground. Now, how would you like your preacher? How would y'all like me to show up this morning with slime and smelling three days of death inside the belly of a whale? Can you imagine the sight he was when he showed up to Nineveh? And he preaches, and they repent. And so notice what Jesus says there. So will the Son of Man. What tense is will? Future. And so the ultimate sign was that Jonah throwed overboard, died, was buried inside the tomb, and then resurrected. 
And so that's exactly what Jesus said. Just as Jonah was three days in the, bell, in the belly of the well, so the Son of Man will be in the belly, the belly of the earth three days and three nights, and then will what? Rise. That's the sign that you're going to get. And that is still the sign that Jesus gives today is His death, burial, and resurrection. You want to know why the devil attacks the Bible so? You want to know why the devil attacks the resurrection so? Because it is the gospel. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. You don't know how to share the gospel with somebody? Here you go. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Boom. The gospel. So the great and the grand sign is the sign of Jonah. And so they say, we want a sign, Jesus. We want our own personal sign, Jesus. And he says, here's your sign. Boom, Jonah. My death, burial, and resurrection. That's all you're getting. Jesus, give us another sign. We want another one. He says, boom, the sign of Jonah. My death, burial, and resurrection are enough. Jesus is not interested in giving folks signs abstracted from Himself, is He? And so let me give us a couple points of application. One, as far as the church, listen to what Dr. Hughes says. He says, There is much needed in instruction and correction here for segments of Christianity that have gone headlong in pursuit of miraculous signs and wonders. Do you know some denominations that have done that? Lost their mind over miraculous signs and wonders. He said, It's imperative we recognize that miraculous signs do not ipso facto guarantee we will believe. It's like I said, Jesus could have done a half gainer off of Mars into the Sea of Galilee and they wouldn't necessarily have believed. He says, Ten million signs and wonders would not make the world turn to Christ. Belief is a choice, an act of the will, not a convincing of the intellect. Look at Richard Dawkins, one of the smartest men on the planet and an atheist. Individually, people today are still just as wicked and evil, constantly demanding signs. Think about how we even do as Christians. How I've even done as a pastor. Jesus, I really wish you would send me a text at 3.33 a.m. with a fish emoji. That would be awesome and I would know exactly what you want me to do. Any of you guilty of that or am I the only one? Here's your sign, Jesus says. It's in all four Gospels. Jesus is risen. And remember the warning that Jesus gave, even if somebody came back from the dead, if they won't listen to Moses' prophets, they're not going to listen if somebody came back from the dead. God's Word and that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and raised the third day so that we would be freely justified in God's sight is the Gospel. And it is why the devil is attacking this book so and trying to convince everyone in here and everyone in this country today that this is nothing more than Grimm's book of adult fairy tales. So that people will not believe. Alistair Begg said this. He said, It's the height of presumption and arrogance to assume that the Creator of the ends of the earth 
who's invaded our time-space capsule, who's walked our streets, who's lived amongst us for 33 years, who's established authentically his Messiahship, who's risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, is going to come do a miracle just for you. He's given us plenty of evidence, brothers and sisters. I've said time and time again, I mean, I'm a scientist. There is plenty of evidence. There is plenty of science to know that this book is absolutely 100% without errors and that Jesus said who He was is exactly who He was and that He did not die and stay dead. He came back three days later and He's at the right hand of the Father today. The reason that people will not believe this book has nothing to do with living in an age of scientific enlightenment. It has everything to do with living in a day of moral darkness and that men do not like the light shone upon them because just like good cockroaches, they run from the light and would rather stay in the dark. Because if you believe that this book is the Word of God and you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead and that it is Lord of your life, you cannot stay the same. I've even been confronted with the fact that maybe sometimes the reason that this church ain't the church for some folks is because they don't like really seeing people live radically for Christ. Look at verse 31 and 32. He says, the, or let me read you one other thing from Max Ricardo. No, no wonder they call him the Savior. Listen to this. He says, the cross... It rests on the timeline of history like a compelling diamond. Its tragedy summons all sufferers. Its absurdity attracts all cynics. Its hope lures all searchers. And according to Paul, the cross is what counts. My, what a piece of wood. History has idolized it, despised it, gold-plated it, and burned it, worn and trashed it. History has done everything to it but ignore it. That's the one option the cross does not offer. No one can ignore it. You can't ignore a piece of lumber that suspends the greatest claim in history. You simply cannot be neutral about the cross and you cannot be neutral about Jesus. And so look at the condemnation that he says. He says on the day of judgment there's going to be two people that are going to rise up and they're not going to be neutral about your decision to reject Christ. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here. You can read of her story in 1 Kings 10 but leaving the safety and comfort of her own palace traveling a thousand miles to risk life and death sparing no expense she came to hear what Solomon had to say. And now there's one greater here than Solomon and that is Jesus. And men still reject his wisdom. Second, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Old accusations that they're going to bring those days whenever everyone stands before the Lord to give an account, and they should have believed in him and didn't. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, our advantage is immense. We got Bibles on every shelf, every shelf. We've got pastors on every TV. We got the Bible bus on every radio. And we have the reason and living of 2,000 years of church history. We better be open to the light 
We better not be neutral about Christ. We better believe in Him and we better follow Him faithfully. Amen? Alright, the final reaction is one shouted. Look at verse 27 28. You'll have to back up to that. This final reaction is one who shouted from the crowd. Y'all ever been to a sporting event and somebody yells out from the crowd? LeBron, you the man! Tiger, you the man! Freddie Freeman, you're the man. It's always at the most inappropriate time, isn't it, coach? Probably you got a player that's sitting there and the state championship, you know, game is on the line and they're bouncing the ball for the free throw and, you know, this is going to win it and somebody yells out right as they shoot the free throw, right? That's kind of what this woman does. Shouts out at an inappropriate time. Like I said last week, that's kind of like a woman, isn't it? Just kidding. Why did she do this? Well, I'll tell you one thing she didn't do was sit on the sidelines neutral, amen? Maybe it was because the, the tension was so tight you could cut it with a knife. Maybe she wants to say, Jesus, some are responding to you. But you know what I think it is? How do women tend to respond? I think it's from right here, from the heart. She sees the wonder of Christ and she simply expressed what was on her heart. Jesus doesn't rebuke or reject her. He just takes it a step further. Was Mary blessed? Is Mary blessed? Amen. It's what it says in Luke 1, 28 and 48. I mean, ladies, can you imagine the immense blessing of birthing the Savior of the world, cuddling Him in your arms and feeding Him at your own breast? Can you imagine that? But Jesus says, I want to one-up it. You think that that is blessed. Here really is a blessing. Hear the Word of God and keep it. You think about it, that has been the case for thousands of years. What did Jesus say in Deuteronomy 13, 16? You be careful to obey all of these things, and then if you do, you will live. What does He tell Joshua in 1, 8? Meditate. Chew on the Word of God day and night. And if you do that, then you will be prosperous in your way will be success. And in Nehemiah 9, when they came and repented before the Lord, they said, we've acted wickedly, we've not kept your law, and therefore we have not been blessed. Think about it. Y'all ever heard somebody say, you say, well, how are you doing today? And they say, well, I'm blessed and highly favored. You ever heard that? You ever said that yourself? Jesus says, yeah, you're blessed and highly favored. And here's how. If you hear the Word of God and keep it. So I'm going to give you in the time we've got left 12 things quickly. If you want to write them down, if not, you can come back, listen to the podcast and get them down. If you want to say I'm blessed and highly favored, is it because you're hearing the Word of God and keeping it in these 12 areas? One is scripturally. You cannot obey what you do not know. If we have a new employee and then they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and we say, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? They say, no one told me. And we say, well, we gave you an employee handbook. Didn't you read that? And they said, oh, that thing. You mean I was supposed to actually read that? Yes, you were supposed to read that. And so here's an illustration of that. The Christian comes to Jesus and, Jesus, I just love you so much. Jesus says, oh, really? So you're keeping my commandments, are you? Huh? What commandments? Oh, have you not read? Oh, wait, you haven't. Let me ask you, have you ever read As I Lay Dying? That's a classic. You don't want to read it. Don Quixote. 
Listen to what Dr. Barclay said. There is no book which costs so much as the Bible. It is in serious danger of deserving the cynical definition of a classic. Here it is. A book of which everyone has heard and which no one reads. Mm. Mm -hmm. Are you obeying the word scripturally because you're reading it? Number two is financially. The only words of Jesus outside of the New Testament other than in the book of Revelation or this in Acts 20.35 it's more blessed to give than to receive. We looked at it this morning in Sunday school 2 Corinthians 9.7 God loves a cheerful giver. Where your heart is that is where your treasure is. You want to have a great bank account? You want to have a 401k out of this world? Don't put it in Edward Jones. Put it in heaven. Because moth and rust will not destroy it there. And then sexually. 1 Timothy 4.12 says to be an example to the believers in conduct, in purity. That's what it says to you young people. Are you living that out? Listen to what it says to us married people. Hebrews 13.4 Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. How about morally? Matthew 5.7 Miss Brenda told on herself she ain't the only one that suffers from road rage in here. I guarantee you. Your pastor does as well. Sometimes I want to go full-blown out redneck when somebody pulls out in front of me with half of a second to be able to either swerve into the ditch and kill myself or rear-end them. Jesus says when we get so angry with other people we want to kill them that that's what? Murder. Are we morally living out the Sermon on the Mount? Number five, reverentially. I think Jimmy posted something similar to this. Man, if we had, you know, there's two churches. And one church over here, the pastor's saying, come on in, I will tell you how to self-help yourself to make you feel good and some pop psychology and sugar-coated preaching. Man, the rafters are filled with folks. Now you come over here and you say, we're going to preach on 1 Peter 1, be holy as the Lord is holy, and it's cobwebs. By and large, American Christians are not really interested in being holy. Are we obeying the word reverentially? And then mentally, Philippians 4.8, whatever is right, whatever is just, these things think on. What do you fill your mind with, young people? What do you watch all day? Who do you listen to as far as music? Just like a computer, like I've said, garbage in equals what? Garbage out. Now, Lieutenant Williams goes and writes a report on his computer of an accident, and it's googly goop. When the report's printed out, they're going, we don't even know what happened at the accident. It's googly goop. Because you put googly goop in, you get googly goop out. If you put googly goop in your brain, guess what's going to come out? You're going to live like trash. We need to fill our mind. We need to be in this every morning. We need to be praying. Alright, seven is worshipfully. Remember what I said. You remember the story I told 
from Ecuador. Little girl says, here, I'm going to give something to the Lord. And the deacon comes by and she keeps pushing the offering plate lower and lower. And he said, well, here, I'll just leave it on the ground. How low you want me to go? And you know what she does? She stepped in the offering plate. That's true worship, brothers and sisters. When we put ourselves in the offering plate and we say, Lord, do with me and everything that's in here, include my wallet, my mind, and my brain, and everything else, what you want to do with me. And here we are, we're sitting in a church today, brothers and sisters, and I'm thankful for everyone that's here, but our church, as we get ready to celebrate July 4th, every church in America ought to be filled to the rafters. I told you the story of Steve's church. We have the freedom to worship and we choose not to. There's other countries in which brothers and sisters, they are being persecuted. Literally, their house of worship is being wiped out. Dr. Barclay said we have freedom to worship a privilege with cost lives. The tragedy is so many people have used that freedom in order not to worship at all. So are you worshiping Him? Worshipfully? And then are you obeying the, the Word of God physically? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says what? Your body is a temple. That means treat it like it. Some folks give more time, talent, and treasure to ensure the house of God is swept and clean and mopped than they do to ensure their own bodies, which are the true house of God, are equally kept in physical order. It's important to be healthy physically. God says to do so. Number nine, prayerfully. Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray. He even says, when you fast. Not if you fast. How many of us Christians are regularly praying? How many of us Christians are regularly fasting? Jesus said that my house will be a house of prayer. And we're going to recommit ourselves here at Crossway on Wednesday night to be a house of prayer for the adults. Now here's what most people do on Wednesday night. They say, well, I can pray at home. No, you cannot. You can pray by yourself, but you cannot come together and I cannot know what Susan Williams may need in her life unless she shows up to the prayer meeting and I show up to the prayer meeting and we walk out life together. It's important for us to get together. God told us to do so and to pray together and for one another. And then relationally, we can go on for that for days, but are you treating your spouse, as the Bible says, to your kids? Kids, are you treating your parents like they should be treated? And then productively, Ephesians 2.10. I said this last week. God did not save you to sit around and eat bonbons and wait until Jesus came back. He saved you for good works. So are you obeying the Word productively? And then are you obeying it expectantly? Romans 13, 11, this is what Paul said to the Roman Christians then, and he would say it to the American Christians today. You ready? Wake up! Why? Because the moment that Jesus is coming back is closer than it was yesterday, and it's closer than it was when I started this sermon. So are you living expectantly, knowing He's coming back? So again, remember, there's no neutrality in the Christian life. You're either obeying the Word of God or you're disobeying the Word of God. There is no third option. Alright, in closing, 
Let's play a little sermon trivia. See who's been a good boy or girl paying attention. Not paying attention. Who's been naughty or nice. Y'all ready? Can you name one of the three false messiahs that I said was in the New Testament? Do this. What did Jesus heal four times that was never in the Old Testament? Blindness. What was the purpose of John's Gospel? To record signs that what? You may believe Jesus is the Christ and believing you may have what? Life in His name. What was the first sign Jesus did in the book of John? Water to wine. What's the sign of Jonah? Not him specifically, but with regards to Jesus. Death, burial, and resurrection. Who did Jesus say is going to rise up and condemn unbelievers at the judgment? The queen? Queen of the south? Men of Nineveh? Who did Jesus say is truly blessed and highly favored? Hear the word and keep it. So think about it. What's one area of your life God's convicting you to hear the Word and obey it, all those 12 things? And then here's the final question. Ready? It wasn't in the sermon today, so you're just going to have to hopefully know this one. What are the seven deadly sins in the Bible? Rejection of the Holy Spirit. Pride. Noah, turn to Ephesians chapter 8 and we'll give you the answer. It's a trick. There is no Ephesians 8. I thought you knew after 50-something weeks in Ephesians, son, you should have known there was no Ephesians 8. I get them every time with that trick. There are no seven deadly sins mentioned in the Bible. That actually is a Catholic thing that came from Pope Gregory the Great. Because in the final analysis of thing, is there any sin that's more deadly than any other sin? No, they all result in death, right? But here's the point. I don't know if there's one that's more dangerous to us as a church and as individuals than the one we've talked about the last two weeks, and that's to be neutral. There is no neutrality when it comes to Christ. There is no neutrality in the Christian life. And I pray the last two weeks have taught us that and will give us a fresh shot in the arm of God's Word to inoculate us against the virus of neutrality. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. Thank You so much for the opportunity to come today, Father, and just thank You for our country. Father, to sing praises to You. Father, to laugh and have a good time. Uh, Father, to hear Your Word. Father, and it be uh, powerful enough to convict us, Father, where we need to look more like Christ. And I pray that that's what it will do today, and it will start right here in this pulpit with myself and extend out to each and every one of us, Father. Thank you for the time you're going to give us after the service just to uh, fellowship. Thank you for the time you're going to give us in a second uh, to give our offering to you and help us to know, Father, everything we own is already yours. And so we're just giving a portion back to you, what you've already given to us. I pray for this time of invitation, Father, that you would just bless it. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ today, that they would come to know him through this time of invitation. We ask this in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Do you know soon... I'm not going to be able to stand in this pulpit and do what I did earlier without fear of a hate crime charge. Y'all know what it was? Those dad jokes. 
I mean, think about it. Simply telling a joke in our day and age has become offensive worldwide, has it not? I read a British Journal article from, from January 2018, and it was entitled this, Is the Snowflake Generation Really About to Kill Off Comedy? Now let me ask you, if we get that angry over a joke, how angry do you think God is over this? You ever told a lie? You ever looked at someone lustfully? You ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? You ever stole anything? You ever taken the Lord's name in vain? been so angry with somebody you wanted to shout at them, punch them. God says that we are lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterous murderers. You think God has a right to be angry over that? Yes, sir, He does. Praise the Lord, He doesn't evaporate us the moment that we do that. Amen? doesn't kill us off immediately, but one day if you do not do something about your sin problem, it will kill you off unless you have been washed white as snow in the blood of the great physician. Amen? There's going to be no neutrality on that day because everybody's going to bow and everybody's going to confess and you better get on it, in on it now as we said. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb, the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? If you've never done that this morning, pray that you would come receive the free gift of eternal life that only Jesus can offer. I pray that if there's something that God has struck in you this morning that was said, that you'll just use this time to come to the altar. I'll pray with you, talk with you, whatever it is, as we stand this morning and sing. Let's stand, page 571. While passing through this world of sin and others, your life shall be.
and we take it and apply it to our lives and as the song just said, let others see Jesus in us. Amen. And be with us as we come to this part of the service as we give back to you a portion of what you've already given us. We ask you to forgive our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.